Hey, Rafe. Hi, Cullen. How's it going? It's going okay. I've had like a slow holiday, but you seem like you've been a little busy. I have. I've uh, I've gotten my fingers into even more pies, which is uh, which is saying something if you've been doing any pie counting of my projects. So has this been mostly like your Spyro stuff I was seeing drift by or? Well, it's interesting that uh, I certainly got very excited about a spline idea, which is a continuation of the Spyro work that I did uh, for my PhD. But like that was kind of uh, December. And then uh, around the holidays, I switched it kind of slowly from spline to curves to just 2D graphics in general. And so I've got this really intense focus right now on making a 2D graphics abstraction, which is something I blogged about, you know, back in October, and then there wasn't really a lot of follow-up. And I'm kind of like, okay, now is the time, let's do it. And so for the last three weeks, I, I haven't counted, like there was one day in there that I wrote 1,300 lines of code. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's been kind of, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've just been cranking on that and... Uh, um, it's it's been uh, it's been starting to take shape. Okay, so when we back up a little bit, what would what is a two D graphics abstraction? So it's a it's a graphics API, but it's an the difference between just an API and an abstraction is to say that you can have multiple backends on this, so that you could be using your platform graphics if you're on Windows, you want to be using Direct two D because Direct two D is very performant, very mature, uh, and if you're on uh, Linux today, you might be using Cairo. There might be a lot of different backends that you want to use. So it's kind of like a language. It's kind of a way of speaking 2D graphics that multiple different pieces of software can understand and interpret. So your backend can take the the graphics commands, really, and convert them into pixels. And then the, if you're writing an app, then this is the way that you're going to express that. So if you want to say, I want to draw you know, these rectangles, these shapes, these text overlaid on top, et cetera, et cetera. It's really a, a language or a way of expressing that so that then you can mix and match with, um, you know, with different backends. Is there a lot of diversity between, like, backends on different platforms? So to me, I sort of think of everything as being kind of like PDF or, like, core image or something. Yeah, so the the answer is yes. There is a huge amount of diversity of backends that you might that you might have on your platform. So that will range anything from a pure software renderer through to things that use the GPU in a very primitive way of just kind of compositing things together, but doing a lot of the computation on the CPU, up to doing things where you're trying to get all of the rendering to happen on the GPU. And I think that's the way we're moving. Because if you do the rendering on the GPU, it's going to be hugely more performant than doing it on the CPU. But it's not even that. The next thing is, are you rendering pixels that are going to be immediately shown on the screen? Are you recording into like a SVG that will be served mm -hmm. on the web? Are you going to make a PDF out of it? So this concept of 2D graphics is something that can exist in a lot of different contexts. And that's also one of the goals of this uh, of this uh, abstraction. Okay. Uh, I'm curious to what extent, like, the diversity of approaches in various, like, rendering pipelines or backends, I guess, for the context of this conversation, is just a product of, like, the point in history that they originated? Yeah, I think a lot of it is, you know, that software renderers are going to come from the era where you couldn't really expect a GPU to exist on your machine. 
And then, you know, like, are you looking at a small platform with a small screen and a big modern computer? Those are, you know, those are going to be different, have different constraints on them. But generally today, uh, you can expect, even on a pocket phone, you, you can expect a fairly powerful GPU. And you really want to do as much of the rendering work there as possible. And our software hasn't caught up. You know, if you're on a Mac, if you're doing core graphics, then that's still doing, unfortunately, a lot of the rendering on the uh, CPU. So you're leaving performance on the table. Hmm. So with this project, like, do you have a sense of a specific set of use cases? Or like, is this something that I'd be able to use to create a desktop environment? Or is it limited more to like simple drawing or like, you're talking about things like SVG. Well, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to explore. Uh, this is motivated mostly right now by trying to write GUI apps. But when when you look at the way that I'm breaking it down into individual crates, and I think we're going to spend a lot more time talking about that, that these can be used to address different parts of the problem. So like, let's say that you're making a chart that you want to serve on the web. You might have software that just draws the lines and the axes and the labels of the chart into this Pete context, Pete being the name of the library, of course, that I'm doing. Mm, okay. And then there could be a backend that converts that to SVG, and then you serve that over the web to the browser, and your web browser shows the SVG in the screen. So that's one context that's very different than just writing a, a GUI app. And I think as we mm. get deeper into this, like, you know, the different crates, um, some of them are very focused and like solve one particular problem really, really well, like Kerbo, which is for curves. It's like if you're doing anything that involves sophisticated manipulation of curves, then I think Kerbo is a really good way to, you know, a good, good library to bring in. And then if you're looking at the integration between Pete and then Druid, which is the graphics toolkit that is kind of the umbrella project for a lot of this. You know, that's going to be, yeah, you're writing a GUI app, and this is the engine that makes that GUI app run on different platforms and, um, you know, kind of is the glue between the GUI framework and the rendering pipeline. Yeah, I feel like I'm a little behind on the crate. So why don't we back up and walk down that sort of hierarchy? Absolutely. So we have we started that a while ago. I'm only paying tangential attention to this, <laughs> but the corner of my eye, I see alerts go by in various uh, chat groups that I am a member of, but maybe not a participating member of. And a while ago, you started this project, Druid, which came out of an attempt to build a Xi front end for Windows. That's exactly right. So Druid started life as ZyWin, and ZyWin was really an experiment of... What would happen if you try to write a Xi editor front end in Windows natively using the Windows capabilities of the platform? And of course, one of the capabilities of the Windows platform is it has a very rich 2D graphics um, uh, subsystem called Direct2D. And then that's attached to a very rich, very capable uh, text um, manipulation uh, library called direct write. And so I was like, what mm -hmm. if I just use these in this native way and kind of get the maximum uh, capability out of the platform and write in Rust? And I think if we want to back up even more, there's this question, like the original Xi editor idea is, 
Uh, Rust is a great language for doing a lot of things, but you wouldn't want to write your GUI in it. So let's make this kind of connection where you've got a JSON RPC protocol. So you've got a core, which is doing kind of heavy lifting of text objects, but it's not doing the UI. It's not drawing the menus and, you know, accepting scroll wheel inputs and those kinds of things. And then you'll use whatever technology is the most appropriate to write your front end. And that is kind of the original Xi architecture. And Xiwin is kind of questioning that. It's saying, well, what if you wrote the editor front end in Rust also? What if you actually built the GUI in Rust? And the problem is there is no GUI Rust framework that's ready for prime time yet. There's a bunch that are in the works. And I, I absolutely, like, I think we're in a really interesting stage right now where there's Conrad, there's Azul, there's OrbTK, there's um, things that are kind of more game-oriented, uh, like GGEZ. And I've left out two or three that I apologize to the authors of those crates. They're all very interesting directions, and I kind of want to let a, a hundred flowers bloom and see which one of these turns out to be most compelling. And then I believe that the approach that I'm taking has a lot to offer, and I'll, you know, definitely you know be be talking about that. But when I started Zywin, none of these things were even kind of plausible. You had to, um, you know, kind of really do things from scratch yourself. And given the capabilities of the platform where you have this 2D graphics library, you have this text library that's really strong, that's really solid, you know, how far can you go? How, how well can you do? And uh, then the other thing is, well, what is the particular niche for a text editor uh, these days? And I think that Having fast startup, like really awesome performance mm -hmm. is compelling. That that's a niche that we, we don't really have completely um, filled at this point. And so Zai Win was really an attempt to say, you know, if we go low level and use the platform, have this very lightweight app, so you're not pulling in these huge, heavyweight, expensive, RAM-hungry frameworks, but you're just saying, all right, let's pop up a window and start drawing the text into it and accept the, the mouse events and just applying those in this kind of most direct way. And um, it, it was pretty, it, the experiment was, um, I mean, obviously I didn't make a fully functional text editor, but it sure popped up the window fast and, you know, kind of looked good. Were you, do you have measurements on that? I'm... Unfortunately, so that's a good question. And unfortunately, I don't have anything remotely resembling hard numbers. Uh, doing, doing empirical evaluation is hard work. And uh, it, yeah, you need like a high speed camera or. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's probably ways. There are ways to do it. But, you know, I, I was really just doing a qualitative thing of, you know, mm -hmm. does this does this feel super responsive? Is this uh, for fast? You can also do things like what is the what is the size of the binary? And uh, oh, yeah, no, these are all this is something I've been thinking a lot about in intro. I'm like thinking about Rust 2019 a little bit. Yeah. And I keep on like considering and then failing to uh, write down my thoughts. But one of the things I've been really wanting to do and the one thing I may be interested in doing if we do Xi in GSOC this year in Google Summer of Code mm -hmm. is... Uh, Tools for tracking regressions a bunch like, across a bunch of metrics. I want a continuous integration tool that just tracks binary size. Right. Absolutely. And then similar things as well for 
sets of benchmarks across that are like running on like uh hardware pool yeah binary size for sure startup time for sure these are all important to measure they they absolutely are uh ram ram consumption while the app is running yeah. there's a lot of metrics that are actually you know correlate very much with with user happiness that you know you don't uh, necessarily uh see unless you start looking at closely so to just sort of like i'm just going by my memory sometime around maybe september october mm-hmm. there was a zywin project that you've been kind of like fiddling on in your evenings yeah. and it was sort of like rafe's meditative activity for a while yeah. like through the summer but then sometime around october there was some new contribution and then some part of zywin became this new crate or project druid absolutely so there are kind of a couple things that happen there and one of them is that um in zywin i started exploring this data-oriented UI design. And there's this talk that I gave at uh, the uh, uh, San Francisco Bay Area Rust Meetup. Uh, I forget when that was, uh, July, August, some sometime, sometime a few months ago. We can, we can put a, we'll find a link. Okay, great. And, uh, and I wanted to explore this kind of data-oriented approach because when you do things in an object-oriented approach, which is the traditional way of building, you know, you GUI toolkits. It's what Smalltalk kind of was built on. If you try and write object-oriented code in Rust, it's pretty painful. And you end up having to deal with interior mutability. You have kind of all these problems and it's just not a very good experience. And so I wanted to try this data-oriented approach, which is we don't have to go into a lot of detail because there's, there is the talk, but it's kind of using ideas from the gaming world. And it turns out that those ideas translate really nicely into Rust. And I wanted to explore doing that. And I kind of started sketching out, like, how would you design a widget trait? And how would you design layout that works in this very native way? How do you plumb events from one widget to another so that you can Mm -hmm. compose a larger system out of smaller pieces? And it just felt like it was coming together in this almost magical way, that you're expressing yourself in this very clear, concise way of dealing with the problem of actually what GUI am I trying to build rather than fighting against the language, fighting against the structure. And I think that like to this question earlier of do you want to build a Rust? Is Rust a suitable language? That I'm kind of getting to the answer, yes, but you have to do it in a Rust native way. If you try to just write traditional patterns, it's not going to go well. And so that was kind of an experiment, and it was bearing fruit. It was looking really good. The other thing that was happening around the same time is that I got very excited about building a music synthesizer, and I wanted that to be a GUI. And I actually, um, my first plan for that was to build it on web technology because I wanted it to be deployed cross-platform. And I start. I have a prototype. If you go to the to the repo, you'll see a little web-based uh, music player that has this uh, Rust synthesizer engine, which compiles to Wasm, but the UI of it is built in web technology. And I was like, yep, I can do this. And then I kind of thought, well, which is going to be more fun, writing it in Rust <laughs> or writing it using web technology? And that, that, uh, that deliberation didn't take too long. And so it's like, okay, I have this GUI technology that came from Zywin that looks kind of exciting and has the ability to support like one of the goals of the synthesizer is having visual feedback. I have this oscilloscope display in it. 
And I have other ideas for visualizations involving spectrums and frequency responses. And I really wanted there to be this very immediate feedback, this kind of low latency approach, which, you know, that needs performance. That needs, um, that needs the kind of stuff that I was actually working on in the context of Zywin. And so um, at that point, it was like, okay, let's take this thing, which is just a, you know, just Zywin, and let's split it out into a crate so that it's generically a GUI toolkit. And so that gives us Druid. That gives us... And then I, I close my eyes for like a week. Yeah. And now there's Piet and there is uh, Kerbo. Yes, that's right. So what's the relationship between these right now? So when Druid happened, it had one very serious problem. It was Windows only. Hmm. Because it was essentially like abstracting a lot of the problems of like mouse and widget layout and stuff like that. But when it came time to draw the appearance of your widgets, it's like, here's a 2D rendering. Here's a direct 2D rendering context. Draw your stuff into that using this direct 2D API. Okay, so this is where like the abstraction becomes important. You need to be able to say, draw this into something that might be direct 2D or might be WebGL or... Yeah, that's exactly right. So the idea is what's keeping this Windows only? And the main thing is using a concrete graphics API like direct 2D, which for the most part only exists on Windows... It is funny because you have these Wine Proton projects that get that running mm. on different platforms, but you know then you're you're dealing with translation. You're not you're not you're not doing a native thing, and so it, that is an interesting question. Can you take those adapter technologies and say, well, this is a way to deploy? But I looked at it and I said, no, I can do better than this because you don't want to use an adapter, and I think more importantly, you want to express these concepts in a very Rust native way rather than saying, oh, I have to build these com objects and have this manipulation of these com objects before I can get anything on the screen. Okay, so we've got an abstraction, and then we need some primitives. What's the sort of, what is the taxonomy of the project? What components are you working on? What components do you need to work on? Exactly. So so the primitives that you need to be drawing or dealing with in a 2D abstraction are just as a, um, a rough enumeration, you've got shapes, you've got text, you've got images, and then you've got other stuff like gradients and clips and stuff like that that are kind of graphical effects or, or things like that. So each of those is interesting, obviously, right? Each of those is kind of a, a world unto itself. And so Kerbo is about shapes. And uh, there are many different kinds of shapes in the world. And kind of the most interesting to deal with are curves. And curves are very related to my PhD work. So that kind of is the natural center of gravity for that crate. But it turns out that curves and curved paths are not, that's actually not most of what you draw. Um, most of what you draw is rectangles, uh, sometimes rounded rectangles. Uh, you, know, you draw some lines. You, you might draw some basic paths, some curves. Uh, and that's certainly an important part. You can't have a 2D graphics um, API that doesn't have, you know, paths as one of, one of its primitives. But that's really Kerbo. Kerbo is the representation and the computation of shapes 
that are the kind of shapes that you would use in 2D graphics, whether you're doing illustration or font design or just as the back end of a, of a UI, in which case most of it is going to be rectangles, which interestingly enough is the naming uh, scheme of Pete. It's named after the artist Pete Mondrian, who's very well known for compositions with lots of rectangles. So Pete is the library that I, or the crate that I know the least about. Right. Um, is this a specifically about, this is a library for drawing rectangles? What is the? <laughs> no, it's a library for representing, you know, pretty much any 2D graphics, uh, like any image that you would draw using 2D, 2D graphics. Like a vector image? Any vector image? Or is that, is that a fair characterization or is that missing some important detail? Uh, that's definitely one way to look at it. I guess the thing is that when you think about an SVG, you know, a, a vector image, you don't really tend to think of that as like a composition of a lot of different elements, like a, a GUI, but it certainly can mm -hmm. be. And I think that ultimately that that's what Pete is for. And Pete has like this structure that lets you have a lot of different individual elements that get composed together in groups and with clipping and so on and so forth. So you know, it's it's the kind of image that is like a the, what you look at on the screen when you're looking at a uh, at a GUI app. So Pete can like include like some bitmap that is in some position. Um, so that is one. So Pete is probably halfway done to the first, cut, and bitmaps are kind of later this week. <laughs> okay, but that's that's in the yeah. It really is like a full two D graphics whatever anything that's on a screen. Yeah. It can represent. Yes, exactly that. Okay, and it, and it's important because you know we don't have bitmaps in Zy Editor yet. Um, we might at some point, uh, but we we do have them in the synthesizer. We have this oscilloscope, hmm. so we need to be drawing that. Uh, that's on the critical path to like kind of taking all this code, which is now Windows only, and you know actually getting it deployed uh, cross platform. So. What sort of stage are things at now? What, are there any like major missing components or is it more just like you have a skeleton and now you're slowly fleshing it out? Uh, I have a skeleton and I'm rapidly fleshing it out. <laughs> <laughs> at least at least that's where things are right now. So like the current state of Pete is that um, it draws uh, shapes and text and uh, there are PRs in flight to do clip paths and affine transformations. And, um, you know, as I say, I expect to get in images and uh, gradients. Uh, hopefully, uh, well, I'm not going to say exactly when, but that's kind of next, you know, in the in the path. And this is working with a backend, with a variety of backends? So the, the current Pete Create, so I've decided that I am going to focus on three uh, backends for the original version, because I feel like having, I mean, the difference between one and, and more than one is huge, but I have like three keeps the design honest. If you can make three backends happen, then it's very unlikely mm -hmm. that you've backed yourself into a corner and can't, can't add more. And those three backends are Direct2D, which is the Windows one, Cairo, which is cross-platform, but is kind of most associated with uh, Linux, and uh, Web Canvas. So one of the other things that's kind of exciting and motivating is this realization that a lot of the future of Rust, a lot of the excitement and potential of Rust, is you can write your Rust code, compile it to WASM, and deploy it in a web browser. And so a lot of kind of the thinking behind Pete is, 
Well, a web browser has a perfectly good, it has two perfectly good uh, 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 2D graphics rendering backends. In fact, it has a web canvas and it has SVG. And ultimately, I think that uh, both backends are going to exist in Pete. I'm doing the canvas one first. So that is, um, you know, kind of proving out this concept of, you know, how portable can it be? Can you really do it on these other, on these other platforms for real? The funny thing is, this surprised me, that the actual programming work in getting it, in, getting it uh, to work on the web canvas, there's less difference in the code between the Cairo backend and the web graphics, uh, web canvas hmm. backend, than there is between either one of those and the Windows one. And uh, so there's a there's a catchphrase that I think I'm going to be using to pitch this, which is that uh, Pete is to 2D graphics as Serde is to serialization. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. So first of all, it's a, a very conscious aspect to the way the traits are designed. That if you look at Serde, you know, people think of Serde as this just pretty amazing JSON parser, but there are a lot of JSON parsers in the world. And that's not what makes Serde special. What makes Serde special is that it has these traits that are really direct inspirations for the kind of thing I'm trying to repeat. So you've got a serialized trait, serializer trait, you've got a, a bunch of traits, and they interact in this way that you just, you don't have to do a lot of work. There's very little busy work. There's an amazingly small amount of busy work that you just implement a couple of traits on whatever it is you're trying to do. And then magically, it serializes to JSON. And then if you want to switch from JSON to message pack, then you just switch whichever backend you're using and boom, your thing is serialized to message pack and you didn't have to do any work. Okay, so this is mostly a claim about architecture. So I think it's an aspiration, right? That like, this is what I would like for Pete to be in the Rust ecosystem globally. That, uh, you know, and if you look kind of at that, at that analogy, Serde, if you want to do serialization, Serde is the tool you reach for. It doesn't do everything. Like if you're trying to do protobufs, then Serde might not be the best tool. You might want to do a more specific serialization for just protobufs. But if you just, you know, have this problem, you know, I have this thing and I want to write it to disk or I want to send it over a network connection, then you say, all right, I'm going to use Serde and that'll, that'll do it for me. And, you know, it has kind of flexibility. And then if you're writing a new serializer, if you're writing a new format, you're like, oh, I want to make something that's more binary efficient, then obviously you write a Serde for it because if you do that then you have you know huge amounts of software that just works and so that's exactly what i'm thinking of with with pete that uh you know if you say i just i have this graphics and it's vector graphics and i want to either draw it or you know make it into an svg or do something with it then you just reach for pete and then pete is the way that you express it that then is flexible unless you do all those other things with it and then similarly if you're saying I have a great idea for a new uh, rendering backend, and I want to use compute on Vulkan, right? So that I use G modern GPUs in the most efficient way. Then, well, what API do I throw on that? And the answer is, I, you know, what I'm hoping is you'll say, oh, I'll have a Pete API. And then if you've got all the software that is actually written using Pete, and whether that's Druid or not, this is one of the real reasons why these are separate crates, then all of a sudden, your fancy new Vulkan compute render um, will will just support that software. Okay. And so things like accessibility would live in Druid. Exactly. Because that's like a UI problem. That's right. 
whereas Pete can deal purely with drawing abstractions. That's that's very much so. So, uh, Rafe, how's uh, how's text work? <laughs> well, text is one of the big. Uh, obviously, as you know, the text is a very hard problem, and uh, you know, and also one of the areas, unfortunately, in the Rust ecosystem where the existing uh, existing libraries, existing infrastructure is pretty thin, is pretty weak. There are things that do text, but there's no kind of end-to-end solution. That if you, if you say, you know, here's some text and here's some attributes, I want this word to be italic, uh, you know, put it into something that I can use, that, that kind of doesn't really exist in the, in the Rust ecosystem. So when you talk about the traits in Pete, for example, shape is one of the fundamental primitives that you want to draw. And so in the case of shapes, that's a separate crate. That's Kerbo, because there's a lot of times that you want to deal with shapes that are not necessarily drawing them in 2D. Uh, but that's kind of the answer. If you have a shape, you represent it in Kerbo. It implements the shape trait. Anything that implements the shape trait in Kerbo, Pete can draw, you're good. Text, I think, is probably going to be in the Pete crate, because I think text and 2D graphics mm. are more closely tied, although that is a question. Like that, you know, like we can, it would not be surprising if this iterates. Um, and like you see that distinction, for example, Direct2D and DirectWrite are two different packages. And even though there there is methods, like when you say draw text layout in Direct2D, you know, that takes a DirectWrite, you actually can run DirectWrite without a, 2D, a Direct2D context. So this is, this is still still to be worked out. But somewhere in this ecosystem, there's going to be a text trait. And there is a very primitive, simple text trait in, there's actually a couple. There's font and text, uh, text layout um, that, are, that are in Pete. And the idea is that same kind of trait architecture, that you're not tying yourself to a specific text layout, specific text rendering backend. And in the case of Windows, I think I'm I'm really, as it builds out, like right now, the you know, can measure the width of text and you can specify the font and size. So you can actually, you can actually get like, you know, that's enough to get started building a, a GUI. And that's all direct, right? Or is that using something like, like Cairo Pango? So on Windows, so the, there's, that's a backend dependent thing. So this is, you know, this is why it's kind of a Pete trait because there's this Pete context trait, which, which abstracts the entire rendering backend. And then there's these associated types in there, which are also traits. So I'm kind of really getting deep into this, like Rust, mm-hmm. you know, how do you design, you know, types in complex systems of types in Rust. And so some of those are text types. And so when you have a, a Pete backend, your text types are associated types. And so then you, you, you basically just ask, you know, like create a font, you know, with this name, create a text layout with this text and these parameters. So you have like a font manager trait that will be implemented by... Like on Windows, you would actually have an implementation of that that was direct right under the under the covers. Yeah. And on macOS, you would have an implementation of this that's Cortex under the covers, and that does like you give it a name for a font, and it resolves that to an actual font. Yeah. So just the simple, like if you're only talking about the really simple thing where you you resolve a named font, that exists now. I mean, there's going to be more stuff because you want to be able to set custom. Font. I mean, there's you know this is a huge task. But, uh, you know, I'm just getting started with the basics. And that exists right now. And exactly that. On Windows, it's direct right. On Cairo, right now, it's using what's called the Cairo Toy Text API, which does not do shaping. 
but that's going to be that's like one of the first things that needs to get you know developed more uh, carefully. And then on on the web, you have uh, you know it's really uh, CSS. Mm. Okay. And is, is does that seem to you like one of the major points of work, or is it going to be easy enough to adapt existing work? Yes, it's going to be major work. Um, and one of the ways in which I'm a little bit confident is that I think that we're going to be using direct write as the kind of main guidance for how this thing is structured, how applications access it, you know, how the API is presented. Because direct write is kind of the most recent spin on this that's really principled and really trying to be general and really trying to be, um, you know, sophisticated. How does that sophistication manifest? Sort of, are there any like examples of the way direct write approaches the problem compared to other APIs that might be illuminative? Absolutely. So one of the biggest problems that you have when you're dealing with text in a GUI is measurement. And I know that you've been running into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to know uh, how wide a particular string of text is, but you also need to know more fine-grained stuff. Like if you're putting a cursor in the middle of the word, you know, where do you put that cursor? If you click in the middle of the word, what text, what string offset does that cursor click correspond to? I just love this is even resolving a grapheme cluster and then finding like the visual offset of that cluster in a given context. Exactly. Yeah. And that might be different depending on the subsequent graphemes yes. or preceding graphemes. That's exactly correct because this this depends, uh, you know, it depends on the script that you've got that if you're doing English, it's usually fairly simple, although there are slight complications mm-hmm. like FI is often, that's two graphemes, but it's represented by one glyph if you've got a ligature in your font. Mm-hmm. So you, you get into it a little bit, but then when you get into scripts like Devanagri for uh, Hindi, or Arabic script, or any of these complex scripts, then those mm-hmm. combinations, things can get reordered, things can get p- positioned. You've got accent marks that get positioned over and you know under the line. So these questions actually get really complicated. So you know there are a lot of different APIs to do that. There's Core Text, there's Pango, which is kind of a the associated with Cairo, a Linux thing, and these all work. I don't want to take away from any of them. But if you look at direct write, it's kind of a very complete solution. And it's also presented in a way that's pretty easy for programmers. Some of these things have a very low level feel where you have to just kind of iterate through your grapheme clusters, you know, one by one individually. And direct write, I think, does a really nice job of, of kind of, you know, like, here's my cursor, what do I do now? And, you know, like, here's some text that has attributes of different places, you know, how do I express that, you know, in, in a kind of a clean way? I'm curious about, I was just digging into Pango the other day as I was playing around with some width measurement stuff. And one thing I noticed is that it looks like it sort of itself contains a similar approach to what you're talking about in Piet, where like you can, basically you can swap in like font information providers. I'm not sure what their terminology Mm -hmm. is. Um, And I wonder if they use direct write on Windows or. I believe they do. I'm not 100% positive. But I, I, I think that, I mean, this is a, a feature of Cairo that it has some of that nature of being an abstraction and a lot of the nature of being its own, you know, rendering pipeline and kind of binding more specifically. So it's sort of half, you can think of it as sort of halfway in the middle. Okay. And so if I'm rendering, if I'm rendering a page of text using Piet on macOS, I'm going to get a visual artifact that would be the same as I would get if I were rendering through Cortex? So, okay. (laughs) 
Um, so, so I think that that's a really interesting question. And what you're, what the kind of underlying question is, is you've got to choose a backend. Like you've got this PID abstraction and the PID abstraction says, okay, this is how you express it, but it doesn't nail down what backend do I actually use to draw this for the user. And that choice has a lot of different trade-offs. And this is one of the reasons why I think it needs to be an abstraction. If your goal is that it needs to look native, then you better use the native stuff. And there are people that try, there's a lot of things out there that are like, we'll do our own pipeline. And when what comes out of the end of this pipeline will end up looking just like the native stuff. And you know, some of it is not terrible, but it's always, that's a very tricky place to be. It's very difficult to really, really look exactly like the, the, the native uh, stuff. So if you're using a Pete backend that uses Cortex and uses, you know, uh, actually, you can separate. Like if you look at Zymac, Zymac uses core text, but it does not use core graphics to paint that text because it's mm-hmm. using its own web, web, uh, sorry, OpenGL-based renderer. So that, that that's a mix and match. If you're if you want your stuff to look native on Mac, then I think you better be using core text to do the text formatting. And then you know the other side of this trade-off is performance. And, you know, you may find that if you use, like, for example, there's really interesting work uh, such as Pathfinder from uh, Patrick Walton. And Pathfinder is doing um, the font rendering on the GPU. And as such, it has the potential to be way faster than doing the font rendering on the CPU. This is now a choice. You might say, well, I could get a lot higher performance. And if you're on a high DPI screen, then matching the exact subpixel stuff might not be as necessary. So I think that the goal of the project is to enable all of the choices. And then you're going to have to make those choices. You know, if you're on a Mac, you're going to have to say, do I want to buy in fully to core graphics core text? Or do I want to take pieces of those? And I think this is also something that's going to evolve over time because like today, those, those pieces either don't exist or are not very mature. But I have this kind of vision, and you know, I think it's going to happen, that you're going to see sophisticated text layout, you're going to see sophisticated GPU-based rendering that is going to be way faster than the typical 2D rendering pipeline that you see today. And I mean, this is also, I think, uh, one of the motivating questions about this entire project is like, well, is this just a retread of existing GUI graphics ideas. And what I'm seeing when I go deeper into it is like, no, we actually have to rethink some of this stuff. We have to think about it in terms of what works well on the GPU. What happens when you're programming this stuff Rust native? What happens when you're designing these traits so that you can iterate through a shape without having to allocate anything? You know, things are different. You know, if a few years down the line, we have these things and we have this kind of GPU Rust native render that's like, you know, I'm not going to say how many times faster, but like, you know, really noticeably faster, then that's going to be compelling. And you might make a different trade-off and say, well, it doesn't have to look pixel for pixel. But the role is to, you know, make these things possible. So then we have kind of like a loose story for text. Mm -hmm. Is there any other, like, is that what's on deck right now? Or do you have another sense of what your immediate next steps are? So, so I think that, um, 
you know, that there are really only a few major categories of primitives that need to be in like the first cut of P. And then I see, you know, some, some refinement. And like a really good list to work from is what do you need to render SVG? And the author of RESVG has a list out there. We'll link to this in the show notes. Um, and I'm kind of going from that. And there's not a whole lot more when you talk about shapes, images, text, and a couple of other things like gradients and blend modes. That's pretty much it in terms of what do you need to render um, SVG. And so that's kind of the goal that I feel like I'm racing towards is, you know, how do we get this in a shape where you can express most of SVG, not every single SVG, but most of SVG. Uh, SVG. And then I'm really hoping to work with the author of RESVG uh, of getting those those things uh, bound so that you, you can start using this to, to render your SVGs. That's kind of an immediate um, goal that I think is... is uh, is coming up pretty fast. Um, the uh, there's other pieces of work like the you know Druid of course today is using Direct2D so there's this kind of very clean thing to do of take the uh, Direct2D dependencies out and replace them with Pete dependencies and kind of mostly have your existing. There's not a lot of software written in Druid. There's the Zy Win prototype and there's the synthesizer, but it's enough that you know. Uh, that that certainly needs to get done, and that'll also validate. Like if we get these things converted over, then that gives you pretty good confidence that that this thing is going to work for at least simple simple uh, GUIs. Now, obviously, text is a big thing, and you know when we go a little bit farther out, then we have the situation where the direct 2D, the Windows backend, is going to have a pretty sophisticated, pretty fully realized text story, and the other backends much less so. But I, I, I'm pretty confident here because I feel like it doesn't all have to be me. And I think one of the things that's really interesting is that I am seeing a lot of collaboration come forward just in the last week. Um, and I'm really gratified to see that. You know, I love working with collaborators and I want to make this a project that's collaborator friendly and that can welcome people and say, OK, look, there are all these little things that need to be done and big things. And one of those bigger things is like getting the text story on non-Windows platforms kind of up to the, the standard that Windows sets. And then, you know, just in general, there are probably, like, we're starting with three backends and at least three others, you know, have popped up, you know, made themselves visible. So one that does not currently exist is Core Graphics, Mac native. Another one that's popped up is Qt. Qt has a canvas. Mm. And this currently the backend of choice of RESVG. And uh, uh, so that one makes a lot of sense to wire up. Another one that makes a lot of sense to wire up is WebRender, uh, or the combination of WebRender and Pathfinder, which is, of course, a hugely interesting Rust native, you know, render GPU-based rendering pipeline. I think that'll be really interesting uh, to wire up. And there's, there's like three or four others that I'm thinking of that I'm not going to name right now. But when you have that structure, when you have that uh, trade and you, you know, it's, once it's kind of proved out, then if someone says, I have this idea, I want to make a new backend, hopefully that, ma that makes it a very clear path of what you do. You just say, these are the methods of the trait you have to implement. And then you also have a basis for comparing, like, do you think your backend is going to be faster? Do you think it's going to use GPU more effectively? Well, benchmark it. You know, mm, yeah, yeah. Do you have a like a ballpark? How how many like lines of code is involved in, for instance, the direct two D backend right now to get an idea of like what 
the task looks like? So it's not a huge amount of code. I mean, obviously I can uh, line count it, but uh, it's under a thousand, I think. Okay. Yeah. Like a, a vigorous week's work. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, it's going to be, as I say, that's shapes and primitive text, and it's going to be more than that. But it's not going to be an order of magnitude more than that, um, yeah. you know, anytime soon. Okay. I feel like that's a pretty good overview for me. I feel like I'm slightly more caught up in what you're doing. Sure. Um, if people are interested in following along, are there any particular resources you would recommend? Or Sure. So I, I think the main thing to do is we have a Zulip chat, and that really where most of the discussion happens. And that's certainly true for Zai. And that's also what I'm using for the uh, Druid and Pete work. And so there's a uh, Druid stream, which is where most of the stuff uh, is being discussed. Need to sign up is a GitHub account. And uh, people are definitely invited, even just lurk. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, certainly uh, happy to answer questions. And uh, it feels like a community is forming around this stack, uh, mm -hmm. you know, kind of rapidly. We'll add a link, but that's at zai.zulipchat.com. Yes. Cool. <laughs> All right. And I'll see you on there later today and probably tomorrow and probably the day after that. Probably. I'm usually around. Anyway. Okay, Rafe. I'm clearly fading. Yeah. But thank you for taking the time. Yeah. And we'll try this again in a couple of weeks. Yeah, look forward to it. Appreciate it. And I'll talk to you again soon.